Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. Today I'd like to welcome Eric Lynch to our show. Eric is the CEO of Leyline Capital. Leyline provides financing that bridges the gap between mid-stage development and construction by investing in the pre-construction phase of renewable energy projects. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Eric, thank you for being on. Eric, I'd like to kick the show off with something interesting about you that most people wouldn't know. Sure. So I think most people probably don't know that I am a second generation renewable energy entrepreneur. My father had a solar energy and wood stove business back in the 1970s and early 80s in Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, the company was called Roanoke Independent Sources of Energy, which is uh, RISE. So nice little play on words there. That is. He, he and, um, and likes to say that uh, he, although the business uh, did well for several years while oil prices were high, ultimately he closed it in the uh, in the mid '80s, and we like to say that he was just uh, you know 30 years ahead of his time. Um, he sounds, course, sounds it, like a futurist. Yeah, yeah. Well, he very much is. Uh, still is today. He's uh, you know, doing quite well as he's in his uh, 70s. But he um, you know, really was a, a pioneer in, um, in sort of the distribution, sale and distribution of solar thermal and uh, you know, renewable energy systems back in the late 70s. So, so if, if you're okay with it, let's dig into that a little bit. How did he see that future so far ahead of time? So at the time, if you think about what was going on, we had oil prices going through the roof. We had OPEC and we had the Carter administration and a lot of concern about energy and the lack of access to energy and how much would we have in terms of oil? Was oil going to be running out? And of course, we were very reliant on OPEC and oil coming from the Middle East. So I think it was a lot of awareness in, in, in general. And then, of course, you know, it was pinching people in their pocketbooks where it hurts. Mm -hmm. So um, wood stoves was uh, obviously a way to, to heat your house without having to burn oil uh, was kind of the core of the business. And then he got into uh, solar hot water, um, again, to, to help those uh, that either wanted to be more self-reliant, uh, kind of off the grid, if you will, um, and also uh, just just to save to save money. So I think it was it was it was economics and uh, it was it was awareness that uh, were driving business. And then um, the the lesson, of course, in all this is that the industry has been you know, the renewable energy industry in general has been uh, subject to the changes at the political level. And when Reagan came in, you know, it famously took the took the uh, you know, the panels to decommission the solar hot water panels on the White House and. You know, had, had a different way of approaching uh, energy policy, and that uh, my, my father's business was a, was a casualty of that uh, those changes. So they say the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. So it looks like you've taken in his footsteps. So I like to really, you know, push the why behind what you're doing. So can you perhaps expand on that? Sure. So uh, if you look at, at at my career, you know, just over the span of the last, you know, 20 plus years, you know, graduating college in 1992, that was a terrible job market. Um, and in 1993, I decided to go into financial services and spent 12 years in that business. And I think it, there wasn't a real important why as to why, I, why I went into that business. It was really just about the money. And at some point in time, you can only do something for so long when, um, uh, you know, f purely for the money. And so um, I had um, a three-year-old daughter and a six-month-old son, and I was thinking a lot about 
the future and, and what kind of example do I want to set for them? And somebody uh, said to me, uh, uh, an advisor back in, uh, this was uh, back in 2004, um, said, you know, be open to the possibility that you can have it all so that you can follow I your like passion, that. do what you want to do. You can make a difference and you can make money doing it. And so I mm -hmm. started thinking about that. I said, well, what would I do? Um, this individual also said, you know, what, what, what about the world makes you angry? And so I started thinking, well, you know, what really makes me angry is that I feel like we're, we're, we're destroying the environment. We are uh, polluting the planet. Uh, we're warming the planet and greenhouse gas emissions and just consumption in general was um, something that just really made me angry and that we weren't taking what seemed to be aggressive steps to really uh, change as, as a society. Mm -hmm. So I left financial services in 2006 and bought a uh, small solar energy company really to pursue my passion and dream of, uh, I'll say, kind of the, the triple bottom line, which is sort of something that's said today. Nobody really talked a lot about it in the early 2000s, um, you know, people, profit and planet. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, doing what's right for, for our people, making money, which any business uh, that's going to be successful has to do. And, and I'm certainly... Um, that's the kind of the capitalist uh, side of me. And at the same time, I think we can also uh, have, have a tremendous impact on, on the planet, uh, both um, through our successful uh, you know, business endeavors and also through, through policy and, and government uh, policies, which have to work hand in hand. So it's really that passion for the environment, that passion. You know, I think the other why for me is, you know, once you have kids, you have children, I feel like your view on the world sort of fundamentally changes. And you get up every day and you're setting an example, you're leading by example um, for, for your kids. And, and I wanted them to look to me as an example for for them as they got older that, you know, you know, pursue your passion and, and find a way to make the world a better place and um, tap into what makes you angry about the way things are going. And um, I also think that, you know, having having a small business is, is, is very difficult. And we all know the statistics and, you know, one in one in 10 make it and, you know, uh, past, you know, five years or 10 years. And right. so uh, I figured that at least I would be in an industry that I really enjoyed and I'd be contributing to uh, greenhouse gas reductions by being in the solar energy field. So mm -hmm. um, I felt like, you know, if, if the business failed, at least I would be in an industry and I'd be creating change that I wanted to see. Right. So is that advisor still in your life? Um, he, he actually is. I and mean, we did our, our press release recently here about our new capital raise. Um, he actually reached out to me uh, on LinkedIn and said, congratulations. Glad to see, you know, you're, you're pursuing, uh, you know, pursuing your, your passion and, and it's working out so well for you. Um, he's up in Baltimore, which is where we lived for a while. And so I've been out of touch with him for a while, but it's good to good to reconnect with people that kind of stick in the back of your head. And I can sort of think about him from time to time and his advice. Well, it, it seems like he really affected the tra trajectory of your life. He did. I think, you know, um, I've always believed in having a coaches and advisors uh, help me think through big decisions and um, still have coaches and advisors today. So I think, you know, anybody that wants to excel at anything ought to have uh, coaches and advisors around them. Um, and then I also like to think that I surround myself with uh, smart people. A lot of the people here at Leyline are way smarter than me. And so, um, you know, just taking advice and taking it all in from the people around you. So you mentioned Leyline. Can you give uh, 
a brief background on Leyline and you know what moved you to start it? Sure. So I had a uh, a solar development business uh, based in in North Carolina. Uh, started up in 2006 when I left the financial services industry. Um, we grew that company to um, one of the largest solar developers in North Carolina at a time when the North Carolina market was really booming for, uh, you know, utility scale, small utility scale uh, solar projects. We found mm -hmm. ourselves in 2014 with uh, several very uh, uh, lucrative potential projects that had significant uh, capital needs, primarily for uh, to secure agreements with uh, Duke Energy. And we would have had to, I would have had to uh, tie up uh, pretty much all of my company's working capital just to meet these uh, interconnection payments with the utility. So I wound up selling the company to a large hedge fund and our pipeline and the whole team went over and uh, we spent a couple of years there and that, that, that worked out fairly well. But it was always in the back of my mind that, you know, had we had other options for capital back in 2014 when we had those interconnection payments due, would we have gone a different direction? Um, would we have essentially uh, worked harder to control our own destiny by having uh, someone providing really pre-construction phase capital, um, which is exactly what Leyline does today? So it, it really came from direct experience initially. And then also uh, just kind of anecdotally, as I would uh, come across people, uh, developers that, um, you know, were having a hard time finding capital and uh, just no one wanted to take uh, sort of a, uh, a chance at the early stage of a project that they'd be able to um, uh, to, to capitalize those projects. Right. So um, 2016, I sort of formed the business plan in my head. And then 2017, we came out with our first transaction out of the gate with our first transaction, which was a small investment in a food waste anaerobic digester that needed some capital to get through the uh, interconnection and, and power purchase agreement uh, deposit mm -hmm. phase. So that was really the genesis of the business. Well, I, I kind of feel, I get the tone that you're a little bit of a futurist and visionary in yourself, like your father. Which um, renewable energy projects have you most interested right now? So we still are very active in solar and uh, certainly solar plus storage. Um, you know, storage now seems to be coming uh, part of uh, most of the projects that we're seeing. And uh, the cost of, so of storage is falling faster than the cost of, uh, you know, solar uh, photovoltaics uh, fell over the last, you know, 10 years. So that's exciting. We're also... Uh, there are several important trends that have also led us to make investments in uh, what I'll broadly call waste to energy projects. Um, and these are mostly anaerobic digesters in the uh, food waste or agricultural waste um, industry. So, for example, this year we made an investment in a project that is um, converting dairy manure into biogas and then injecting that gas, cleaning it up and injecting it into the pipeline and mm -hmm. then selling it into the California market for transportation. So it's renewable natural gas for transportation. Um, we also invested in um, uh, two fairly large food waste uh, anaerobic digestion projects in many states and uh, 
congested areas of New York and the Northeast, out in California. They now have laws on the books requiring commercial food waste to, um, to stay out of landfills and to go to composters or digesters. So they're really di diversion laws that are on the books. So again, just playing mm -hmm. on some of these trends and, and policy and regulation that are impacting and creating opportunities for developers to develop good projects in, in, the, in, these, in these areas. And one of the interesting things about Leyline's business model is we see, uh, we, don't, we don't often invest, but we often see early stage technologies, uh, cutting edge kind of things that are happening in uh, the renewable energy sector. And a lot of those things are taking some sort of waste product and converting it into, into energy. And so um, just be amazed at the types of things we see out there. It's, it's pretty, pretty varied. And I guess developers are very entrepreneurial and very forward thinking in, in, in many cases. So um, Totally agree with you. I'm, I'm a big fan of the uh, waste to energy slash waste to value space. Going back to that uh, food waste you spoke about and up the chain, do you know where the food waste begins to get separated away from the regular waste? What, what are the laws around that? Do you, do you have any insight into that? So um, they are uh, it's sort of happening in real time. So, for example, in California, where we have a project, there are... Uh, um, laws uh, going into effect in, in the coming years, uh, 2022, 2023, which will require, uh, you know, source separated organics uh, and, and the separation of, of those, um, uh, you, you know, depackaging systems, those kinds of things, which is another interesting trend. There's a, a company out there that sort of dominates that market and they're selling depackaging systems. Their Tiger system, I believe it's called, um, is... Uh, sort of in hot demand right now because you know your your, your big waste haulers are having to meet these um, meet these uh, laws uh, in California mm -hmm. and in the Northeast. So uh, you know source separated organics is a uh, you know is, is a trend that we're seeing. And so yeah, I think you're you're also seeing I think at the industrial level um, not being driven so much by policy. Uh, or compliance with any certain regulations, but just really the, the strong movement towards sustainability and wanting to show their customers and their suppliers and their vendors that they are uh, being uh, environmentally responsible. So, you know, I know Anheuser-Busch, for example, is, is um, putting anaerobic digesters at a number of their facilities to process mm -hmm spent grains and hops and the byproduct of their uh, processing. We have some smaller projects in, up in Vermont where the developer is focused on exactly that market, you know, uh, cheese and dairy manufacturers, breweries, uh, distilleries, um, you know, ha have, have waste in, in the, as a byproduct of, of their manufacturing process. And so they are also very uh, driven now to uh, try to do something with that waste besides take it to landfills. Can you uh, expand on depackaging? I haven't heard that phrase. So if you think about um, expired uh, food uh, products from the grocery store, most of the, other than the produce section, uh, just about everything that is in the grocery store is packaged. So oh, yeah. think about uh, cheeses and milk and uh, um, meat, even meats that have, uh, you know, wrapped in plastic cellophane uh, 
you know, plastic and, and, and foam, they, they all need to be depackaged before they can come into a digester or composting facility. So, um, and that's sort of the first step because by the time they get to the digester, they have to be out of, out of, out of package. You know? mm -hmm. so, so the depackaging process is something that is, um, is now really being required and is popping up in a lot of these markets where you have food waste diversion laws on the books. And so you mentioned a company named Tiger that has a product that depackages or a tool? Yeah, I believe the I believe that's the name of their system, the Tiger system. I can't remember the name of the company that actually manages um manages it, but it's um you know the, the Tiger depackaging I think is the uh you know is the I'll, Tiger depackaging uh, system or machine, yeah. Um EcoVert so is actually the company. So. Ecovert, thank you. So I, you mentioned your children earlier. Um, you know, I have three young children, and they're kind of tickled with the whole uh, waste of value, especially when I talk about cow manure. Um, how do your children feel about what you're doing today? It's interesting. I think they uh, uh, they probably don't really know what I do. <laughs> I think they kind of wonder what does that do every day. Um, I do talk about the um, you know, especially when you get into uh, dairy manure. Uh, they do think mm -hmm. that's that's pretty funny. Our daughter is 17 and son is uh, 13. So, um, you know, I think my daughter is more interested in kind of the entrepreneurial um, side of it, you know, growing a business. She actually worked uh, for me a little bit this summertime to help just sort of seeing um, not so much the end result of what we're doing in terms of the environmental impact, but just what it takes to run a business, grow a business, you know, take mm -hmm. care of your people, all those kinds of things. So. I think that really is something that resonates, you know, with her. And then I think, you know, we I'll, I'll be driving around and we'll, I'll point out, you know, a big farm or, you know, you want to see solar panels out there and they're probably tired mm -hmm. of me at this point, they're probably tired, <laughs> of me here, tired of me pointing that out. But um, no, I think, I think it, it's, um, it's interesting. I mean, my son is very much into animals and the welfare and well-being of animals. And we were up at a, a project site in Indiana, and I had the opportunity to take a picture, some pictures of a, a true free-range, uh, you know, chicken uh, operation. And mm -hmm. uh, and it was really, you could tell the chickens, they had plenty of outdoor space to run around. And and so I think just the, the humane treatment of animals and thinking more about that is something that uh, that resonates with him. That's great to hear. I often threaten my girls. I said, if you have show and tell in school, I might just show up with manure and talk about waste of energy. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you mentioned you opened up the show asking about uh, interesting facts that little uh, that few people would know. I mentioned my father uh, earlier. Not only was he an entrepreneur and ahead of his time, he also was, I believe, the four or five time champion at the uh, at our, our friends. Uh, our friends had a big party every year called Game Day, and mm -hmm. they would do a, uh, a, a cow patty throwing contest and i've heard of those two, two categories one wet and one dry and you know, so, <laughs> so the dry you sort of throw like a like a like you would imagine uh you know imagine uh you're skipping a stone across the water you need to get it kind of going like that and then uh -huh. the wet, you know you would kind of ball it up like a snowball and and uh he was uh, three years running the champion in both categories and they would give a little trophy out and put it up there so i should go back and see if i could find those trophies i think uh, you should see if you can launch one that's right. <laughs> yeah, the new the competition. Contest or, the contest or the, or the cow, the cow manure. Yeah. The, the contest. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So, Eric, you know, you mentioned a couple of interesting things, one being visionary and your father, you know, way back in the Carter administration. If there is a piece of advice that you can share with the audience, what would it be? I think I'd go back to 
what I said earlier is be open to the possibility that you can have it all. And, and I think if you think about that statement, it's, it's really about having an open mind and a growth mindset so that, you know, I think too many times we get ourselves into a locked way of thinking that the world operates a certain way and our, our view of the world has to be a certain way or is a certain way. And then that it's, it's very difficult, I think, to have dialogue, uh, constructive dialogue and to grow a company and build a business if, if you don't have a growth mindset. And a growth mindset for me really means you're you're asking questions, um, con uh, continually asking questions, because that's how we move the dialogue forward. And that's how we uh, get uh, individuals to sort of come to, you know, our, our, our way of thinking uh, as opposed to sort of going, you know, head to head and, and sort of arguing with them. Mm -hmm. So really that growth mindset and just being open to the possibility that, that, that we can have it all, be open to the possibility that we can solve all of the great challenges we have around climate change and global warming and also have positive economic growth and create uh, companies and businesses and new business models you know, you know, I, I think that to me is just, you know, is where we need to go and, and how we're going to get there. So I would say be open to the possibility that you can have it all, that you can do it all and um, and start with that frame of mind. So, so two questions. First of all, I strongly agree with what you're saying. Um, you know, when you say have it all, it's a very broad statement, very strategic. You know, what's helped you on a daily basis to get tactical with having it all? So I do a, a combination of things. I start my day off by doing some journaling. I think it, uh, the other thing I do to set the tone is to uh, is gratitude. And I start my day with three, uh, three things that I'm thankful for. And, mm -hmm. and we actually also, as a family, every day at dinner, uh, we uh, do three good things about our day. And I think that that attitude of gratitude, uh, it sounds a little cheesy, a little hokey, but when you practice it every day, I think it really um, becomes powerful and it, it, it grounds you in what's important and it helps set the tone for for the day. And then you can you can write out your tasks and your weekly, your daily and weekly to do's um, and, and carry those out. And, and, and then those lead to your 90 day uh critical items that you need to get done. So it really those baby steps, but I think it really starts with that um, setting the right positive attitude for yourself every day so that, um, you know, you have to have systems to stay organized and track your, your to-dos and all of that. But I think if you, if you let yourself, um, you know, if you start your day out just checking your email and you start going down that path of, all of these little items that uh, you don't set, you don't step back for a few minutes and just think about your day and what you have to get done, and 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 approach it from a, a, a point of, of gratitude. I think it just, mm -hmm. you know, the day can turn into a bunch of noise, right? And that's not I what you want. Totally agree. In fact, um, we have a gratitude practice that we do every night with my girls, and it's essentially same as what you said. We have three things you're grateful for today, and what I found is that since they are aware that my wife and I are going to ask that question in the afternoon or evening, they have that filter on during the day. So they have something for nighttime. So it allows them to look at the world from a different perspective. So I totally agree. Yeah, it's a great point. And, and you know, we all also, it's, it's the days where 
they struggle and they just, it was just such a bad day. I had a terrible day. I can't find anything good about my day. It, we, we, we keep pushing them and we keep saying, you know, there's always something good in every day. And it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be, you know, that you're jumping for joy over you know, something super exciting, but it, you know, there's, there's always something good every day. And, and, and when you put it in perspective to the challenges and the struggles that people face around the world and, and right here in our own country that, um, you know, that, that our, our, our kids, uh, you know, don't, don't face in, in our particular right. case, um, you know, just kind of puts it in perspective. There's, there's certainly always something you can find in your day to be totally. grateful for. So, so last question then, um, any particular books that have influenced your thinking along these ways? So the one that um, I just finished reading, which I think for any entrepreneurs uh, or, or even, uh, you know, division leaders or company leaders uh, is a book called Traction. And Traction is really about implementing uh, EOS, which is an, uh, an entrepreneurial operating system. And it helps to uh, not only, you know, we had kind of the interesting process here at Leyline of having this large amount of capital, but also really starting a new company. And we mm-hmm. could define our core focus and our values, uh, get them written down and captured, and then start to build uh, teams of people around uh, the core focus. And then, and then from there, develop a weekly and quarterly meeting rhythm using, you know, uh, to-dos and 90-day uh, rocks and, and goals. So that book in particular has been, uh, it's, it's very practical in terms of its application. Okay. I mean, even, even how to run a meeting uh, successfully and, uh, and productively so that, you know, uh, there, there's somebody said to me a couple of years ago, um, you asked somebody about, about, a, about a, attending a meeting and you could have uh, six people in there and they all just attended the same different meeting because you can get six different answers as to what the meeting was about, what we talked about and discussed, because everybody has their filter on and is filtering it through their own lens. Mm-hmm. So um, getting your team on the same page, uh, working uh, in a unified way towards your goals, and uh, the book Traction has been um, been used by a number of uh, CEOs and leaders, but uh, is one I, I found just particularly helpful because of its practical nature and hands-on aspect. Well, I really appreciate that, Eric, and I really enjoyed speaking to you today. And thank you again for your time. And I look forward to catching up with you in five years and seeing where Leyline is. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Eric. Have a wonderful day. You too.